Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Killer Psyche ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. A listener note. This episode contains adult content and is not suitable for everyone. Please be advised. This is part two of the Anthrax Murders. If you have not listened to last week's episode, please do that first. In October of 2001, not too long after 9-11, I was doing news commentary for NBC and MSNBC. After the story of the anthrax killing broke, I was supposed to be on the NBC Evening News with Brian Williams. I got a call from his producer that told me a profile of the unknown offender, known as the anthrax killer, had just been released to the press by the FBI. Essentially, the profile said that they believed the unknown offender would be a white male, someone who was a loner, who probably lived by himself, who didn't have any friends. But they said the person wouldn't be super well-educated, and I could hardly contain my laughter. I had a very different opinion of who I thought was doing this. I thought the killer would have a lot of letters after his name. And what I meant by that, PhD, possibly MD, PhD, that he was working in the field of bio-research, that he had access to anthrax through his work, and that he probably was motivated through revenge. Weeks earlier, Shortly after the attack started, I said on the news that I thought the killer, once again, had a lot of letters after his name and was a homegrown American. Wow, did I take flack from my colleagues. When I got out of the TV studio, I turned my phone back on and there was a message from a colleague of mine. He was a retired terrorism expert, both international terrorism and domestic. He left a message on my phone that I was so wrong. He couldn't believe it. There was disgust in his voice that I would say it was anything other than state-sponsored, meaning it probably came from Iraq. I completely disagreed. So I had a barrage of fingers pointed at me saying I was wrong. Not only the behavioral assessment unit, but my friend, who is a terrorism expert, Uh, guess who turned out to be right? As a Killer Psyche listener, you'll love Audible's new pulse-pounding collection of exclusive thrillers that are guaranteed to keep you on the edge of your seat. With captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances, their titles are brought to life. I recommend The Killer Across the Table by John Douglas, my mentor at the FBI Behavioral Science Unit, and his co-author, Mark Olshacker. It is great. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash psyche or text psyche to 500-500. That's audible.com slash psyche or text psyche to 500-500. Killer Psyche is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From Wondery and Treefort, I'm Candace DeLong, and this is the second season of Killer Psyche. I've spent five decades studying people's minds through my work as an FBI profiler and psychiatric nurse. I've interviewed lots of murderers, including serial killers. And the question of why they did it is what I get asked time and time again. It is difficult to get a satisfying answer without diving deep into their mindsets. So that's what we're doing and I will give you my best analysis in this series of what made them do what they did. This is part two of the Anthrax Murders. 55-year-old microbiologist, Dr. Bruce Edwards Ivins, spent almost his entire career at USAMRID, conducting high-security experiments into lethal substances like Ebola, and anthrax. You might remember that USAMRID stands for the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. And it is the nation's premier biological defense laboratory. Ivans was instrumental in anthrax vaccine development, as well as production of it for the United States Army. Around the time of the first Gulf War, in 1991, the Pentagon viewed Dr. Ivan's vaccine work as critical and mandated that all U.S. soldiers, sailors, and airmen get inoculated against anthrax. But there were some problems. A decade later, some Gulf War soldiers claimed they experienced chronic fatigue, headaches, and memory problems after receiving the vaccine. The Pentagon reconsidered and concluded that anthrax on the battlefield was unlikely and ended their mandate. And with that, USAMRIT told Ivans to focus on researching other pathogens. And that redirection infuriated him. Amerithrax investigators had long considered the idea that whoever mailed the contaminated letters 
was trying to raise an alarm about the threat of bioterrorism. After the anthrax attacks, Ivans was among researchers who benefited from renewed interest in the bacteria. For example, 14 of the 15 academic papers he published after his work was redirected focused on what he knew best, anthrax treatments or vaccines. FBI evidence tying Dr. Ivans to the mailed letters was plentiful, but circumstantial. Postal inspectors traced the pre-stamped envelopes to vending machines in a small number of post offices, including one in Frederick, Maryland, where Dr. Ivans rented a P.O. box under an assumed name. His keycard data also showed that he spent several late nights alone in his lab before September 18th and October 9th, two of the dates postmarked on the anthrax letters. The FBI could not find any other period when Ivan's worked into the night. The case against him gained momentum in December of 2001. After the Army found out he had failed to report that he swabbed a lab assistant's desk for the presence of anthrax and found bacillus. Any incident of spores outside the secure lab was a major safety failure, and reporting the contamination was mandatory. Instead, Ivan scrubbed the desk with bleach and only mentioned it to a colleague weeks later. Did he have a guilty conscience, or was that simple stupidity? When USAMRIT officials learned about the contamination nearly five months later, they found three strains of anthrax spores outside the lab, including the Ames strain, on Ivan's desk. Cutting-edge technology revealed the anthrax was developed near Fort Detrick in Maryland, where USAMRID is based. Out of 60 water samples taken from across the country, only the water from Frederick, Maryland, had the same chemical signature as the water used to grow the mailed anthrax bacteria. But the most crucial connection was made in 2005 when scientists working with the marathrax matched four genetic mutations in the anthrax letters to the same mutations in a container of anthrax spores in Ivan's laboratory refrigerator, marked RMR-1029, which is the Ames strain. In my line of work, we call that a clue. This particular batch was made mostly of the Ames anthrax strain grown in 1981 for Dr. Ivans at an army base in Dugway, Utah. While the science proved the murder weapon likely came from Ivan's batch, it did not prove that he refined it or assembled the lethal letters. None of his DNA or fingerprints were on the letters. No eyewitnesses reported any activity tying him to the letters. Lastly, Ivans was not the only person in the lab who had access to RMR 1029. 
But the fact that the anthrax letters came from it was enough for the FBI to place him under surveillance in 2005. It would not be until November 2007 that the FBI searched Ivan's home, cars, and safe deposit boxes. An inventory of items taken in the search included a briefcase containing three handguns and a notebook detailing firearms training. But no anthrax spores or other evidence directly tying him to the lace letters was found. A review of thousands of emails from Ivan's work and personal computer servers did not yield any mention he planned to commit the crime or express any pleasure or regret at having committed it. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with SimpliSafe. Its advanced technology protects every room, window, and door of your home while cameras keep watch for suspicious activity 24-7, all for less than a dollar a day. And there's no long-term contract, ever. I love SimpliSafe because it's so straightforward and easy to install. Knowing that my home is protected 24-7 gives me so much peace of mind. It's great that I can always check on my home through the app on my phone. Protect your home today. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash psyche. That's simplysafe.com slash psyche. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Bruce Edwards Ivans was born in Lebanon, Ohio on April 22, 1946. He was the third son of Randall and Mary Ivans. His father was a pharmacist and owner of a local pharmacy, Ivans Drugs. His mother was a homemaker who did not want more children after her first two sons. She told her sister-in-law, that she sat on the house stairs and bounced up and down, trying to miscarry her third pregnancy. And that pregnancy was Bruce. Neighbors described her as volatile and abusive. They said she hid her dark side under a prim social facade. Randall Ivans told his employees he was 
terrified of his wife. She hit him with brooms and left him with black eyes and cuts on his face. One time, she stabbed him with a fork, and another time, hit him on the head with a frying pan. When she passed away from liver cancer at 63 years old, her family believed that she probably was also suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. Young Bruce developed an interesting coping mechanism to deal with the chaotic household. He blindfolded stuffed animals and talked to them while he was alone in his room. Two things occurred to me about blindfolding his stuffed animals. He didn't want them to see him. Perhaps he was ashamed of himself. Or he didn't want to look them in their eyes while he talked to them. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say for Bruce to look his mother in the eye when she was angry was pretty difficult. In high school, he kept busy and was out of the home. He ran track. He worked on the school paper. He was in the choir and school plays. He was always interested in science, particularly biology. Ivan's was extremely bright and liked to remind people of it. But many people considered him socially awkward, and he had difficulty making friends. He later expressed frustration about his social life at high school and college. Bruce also developed an interest in handguns. Telling a therapist in college he would open up in empty buildings and fire on inanimate objects. When he was an undergraduate studying biology at the University of Cincinnati in the mid to late 60s, Ivans was turned down by two different women in the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. This rejection, for whatever reason, profoundly affected him, and he developed a lifelong obsession with the sorority. Bruce earned his Bachelor's of Science in Microbiology in 1968, his master's degree three years later, and finally his PhD in 1975. While in graduate school, Bruce converted to Catholicism and married Diane Betch, a nursing student and devout Roman Catholic. The newlyweds left Cincinnati for the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill when Bruce was hired as a research assistant there. At UNC, he met a doctoral candidate named Nancy Hagwood, who was in Kappa Kappa Gamma as an undergrad. He pestered her with so many questions about the sorority that she had to forcefully tell him to leave her alone. The FBI later learned from Ivan's therapist at the time that he envied the sorority girl's self-confidence and wanted to be her friend, but he felt rebuffed. More importantly, he admitted he had a fantasy of poisoning her as punishment for her indifference toward him. Ivans and his wife moved to Frederick, Maryland in 1978, and he started working at the Department of Defense's 
Health Sciences Research Lab. The next year, Nancy Haywood was still finishing up her dissertation at UNC when her doctoral lab notebook with years of data inexplicably disappeared. She always kept it in a locked room of her laboratory. She was frantic and alerted the police. Days later, she received an anonymous letter saying her notebook could be found at a certain mailbox in Chapel Hill. And there it was. Hatewood never reported Ivan's, but she strongly suspected him, even though he lived 300 miles north in Maryland. In 1980, Ivans was hired as a microbiologist at the Fort Detrick Biomedical Research Laboratory, USAMRIT, the government's epicenter for biological defense. One morning the following year, Hagwood discovered spray-painted letters KKG on the back window of her car and on a wood fence by her driveway. Immediately, she told her husband that Bruce Ivins was responsible. She alerted police, but no one was ever charged. But more bizarre events plagued Hagwood, including in 1983, when someone wrote a letter to a local Frederick, Maryland newspaper promoting controversial hazing practices at Kappa Kappa Gamma and signed her name. Nancy learned about it from a colleague who saw the editorial and she promptly confronted Ivans. He denied it. And unbeknownst to Haywood, another copy was sent to a mother who had recently lost her son in a fraternity hazing incident. That same year, Ivans, who was a talented singer, performed at the Kappa Kappa Gamma House at the University of Tennessee. He had memorized the songs from the sorority's secret ritual books he had stolen back in Chapel Hill. The co-eds were so unnerved, they called police, and Ivans was escorted out. Bruce was hired at USAMRID without a psychological evaluation and given a top-secret clearance. You might find that surprising and disappointing, but I can tell you the psychological evaluations back then would not have picked up his problem. Many of his colleagues considered him to be a genial, outgoing person with a very wry sense of humor. He played keyboard at his church and performed juggling routines at social gatherings. He seemed like a harmless guy, just a little socially awkward. However, the darker side of his personality was unveiled during the FBI's surveillance of him, starting in 2005. In interviews with FBI agents, Ivans admitted he drove miles and miles at night, sometimes 10 or more hours, to drop off anonymous gifts of alcohol on the doorstep of a former lab assistant. After she left the lab to go to medical school, 
Ivan seemed obsessed with keeping up a relationship. He also admitted to mailing packages with false names and return addresses at locations far from his home, disguising the gift's true origin. And six years into the anthrax investigations, Ivan's admitted to writing the editorial letter under Nancy Haigwood's name. The LA Times reported that Bruce had admitted to a psychiatrist that he felt Haigwood's brush-off was, quote, a replay of his mother's mockery of him during childhood and that he had thought through plans to kill Haigwood. He also admitted to spray-painting the Greek letters on her home fence years earlier and breaking into two Kappa Kappa Gamma houses to steal the sorority's secret codes and rituals. The FBI learned that sometime in 2000, Ivan's again sought out mental health therapy. His physician diagnosed him with paranoid personality disorder, which frightened Ivan's. He was afraid he was becoming like his mother. From 2000 to 2006, he was prescribed antidepressants, antipsychotics, and anti-anxiety medications. That's quite a cocktail. The FBI also found emails to a colleague in which he expressed feeling paranoid and delusional at times, often dissociative. He felt removed from his own body and could see himself sitting at his desk. Ivan's mental health was deteriorating under the FBI's intense focus. Testimony from a counselor said Ivan's confessed to her that he wanted to hurt his co-workers, investigators of the anthrax attacks, and anyone he perceived that slighted him. After his threats on July 9, 2008, about killing his co-workers, he was detained at work and transferred to a nearby psychiatric hospital. He was later released, but forbidden from going to Fort Detrick. The humiliation of being escorted from the building where he had spent the last 20 years in an esteemed career must have been absolutely overwhelming. Bruce Ivins signed himself in for two weeks of inpatient psychiatric treatment. Upon his release, he learned that federal prosecutors were preparing to indict him. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. Featuring a reimagined exterior with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and an interior built with robust materials and integrity, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Its durability has been tested to the extreme while the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
A few weeks later that month, on July 28th, Ivan's wife found him on the bathroom floor. He had overdosed on Tylenol and codeine. Hospitalized in the ICU, his organs began to shut down. On July 29th, his wife had him removed from life support. Bruce Ivins died at age 62, having never confessed to the anthrax murders. He left no suicide note. Ivan's lawyer maintained his client's innocence. He believed all evidence against Ivan's was circumstantial, and the FBI had hounded a mentally fragile man. Before the FBI closed its files on the anthrax letters in September 2008, the agency requested the National Research Council review all the evidence. Three years later, the council said the conclusions reached by the FBI about the attacks were not fully supported by science. I would like to point out, however, that just because you have A, that does not negate B. So some of the things the scientists were finding that they believe negated that he was the killer did not negate it. The National Research Council's report was not intended to prove Ivan's guilt or innocence. The report said that while genetic evidence linked the attack spores to Ivan's RMR-1029 flask at USAMRID, an additional growth step between the flask and the spores used in the attack was necessary. Ivan's supervisors at USAMRID staunchly defended him. They said his laboratory did not have equipment necessary to dry the amount of spores contained in the letters. They estimated it would have taken Ivan's months to grow the volume that was sent through the mail. The FBI also failed to address the silicon and tin found in the FBI samples, but not in those provided to the Bureau by Ivan's. The supervisor said that while the mailed anthrax may have been genetically similar, it was not chemically similar. But let's not forget, there was an eight-year gap between when the attacks occurred and when the research council did their review. In addition, another bacteria found in the letters was not present in Ivan's flask of anthrax. The supervisors maintain that bacteria was a genetically unique strain that was never explored at USAMRID, let alone Ivan's lab. They believe that forensic marker was critical to exonerating USAMRID and Bruce Ivan's. Other scientists cooperating with the FBI did not believe a vaccine specialist could create the aerosolized anthrax spores. Remember, those were found in the Dashiell and Leahy letters we covered in part one of this story. In the end, the Amerithrax Task Force conducted 9,100 interviews, sent out 6,000 grand jury subpoenas, and conducted 67 searches. In my 20 years with the FBI, I never heard of such a case. 
When you consider the time and resources spent on this investigation and that the case against Bruce Ivins was based on a pattern of damning circumstantial rather than definitive evidence, the situation is disconcerting to say the least. Some people believe the anthrax killer may still be out there. The FBI, however, still considers Bruce Edwards Ivins the sole perpetrator of the anthrax murders. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Killer Psyche ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. From Wondery and Treefort Media, this is Killer Psyche. I'm your host, Candace DeLong. This episode was written and produced by Lisa Ammerman and Julie Burke. Story research and additional writing by Anne Liu. Mix and sound design by Joshua Morales. Senior audio producer, Maxwell Carney. Head of audio, Tom Monahan. Renee Levesque is our production manager. Lindsay Whistler, Colin Modell, and Jada Williams are production assistants. Oscar Guido is the producer from Tree Fort Media. From Amazon Music and Wondery, the producer is Stephanie Joaquin. And the co-executive producer is Julie Burke. Lastly, our executive producers are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman for Tree Fort, and Marshall Louie and Aaron O'Flaherty for Wondery. The series is produced by Wondery and Tree Fort Media. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts